Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're embarking on a journey that will talk about some of the most difficult losses that we face in life. It's a subject that often doesn't get all that much attention, but it's one that I'm convinced we need to pay more attention to. So with that in mind, I've got a very special guest with us today. His name is Ken Dolan Delvecchio. Ken, it is great to have you with us. David, it's great to be here. Ken, you have been highlighting a topic that, well, I mean, it's close to a lot of people's hearts, and yet we don't hear much spoken about it. We're speaking about the loss of a companion animal or a pet. Why did you get so interested in this topic? Well, I got so interested in it because I am the kind of person who has always had pets in my life. So when I was growing up, my brothers and I fought hard to get a dog. We got a dog when I was eight years old. It wasn't something my parents were thrilled about. Later on in college, I had a chinchilla and a rabbit. I had a rat who would sit on my shoulder and I would hand him up peanuts. And just animals are close to my heart and always have been. And then about 15 years ago, a colleague of mine invited me to facilitate a pet loss group. And mm. she would do one meeting a month, and I would do the other meeting, and they were spaced two weeks apart. It's just such a poignant experience. This is really an amazing topic. And some of my listeners in Indian country, they're saying, well, you know, this isn't our traditional way. So you may be tuning in, and you might be from a, a tribe, part of the country. Uh, in fact, many have told me over the years, uh, Ken, that domesticated animals, companion animals, weren't a part of their cultural tradition. They lived very close to all of nature and, and felt a oneness with everything around them. They didn't have pets, per se. But in Indian country, uh, as more Native Americans have moved to urban environments, many have companion animals now. And even though it may not have been a part of their grandfather or grandmother's way of life, pet loss is something that is touching Indian country as well. And I so appreciate you bringing these messages to us today. Well, it's interesting what you're saying about staying close to nature, because I feel like life as it's developed in the mainstream is so far removed from nature mm. that oftentimes pets are the link. They provide us with a sense of connection to the non-human world. And, and that's extraordinarily important and healing for many people. I really love that you're making this point because in some of the research we've done, and in fact, uh, we recently came out with a book called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. And as we were looking at all the natural elements that might help someone lower their blood pressure, we were looking at nature. There's a lot of research, actually, especially from Asia, looking at nature therapy. And again, that kind of research brought us right into this topic that we're talking about, pets, and how it seems like one of the things they do is just like you said, they connect us with nature, even if we're in the middle of a concrete jungle, if you will. Absolutely. And I right now, I'm in rural Massachusetts, and I have chickens, and I have rabbits, and I have dogs, and I have a cat. And when I'm with 
any of these animals, they bring me into the present. No matter what time of day it is, the time of day for one of these animals is now. Mm. And we so need that. We are so preoccupied and so rushed, many of us. And to be in the present of a being who isn't in that style or racing way of living can really bring us down in a way that's healthy. I mean, these are profound insights. And I I think as my listeners are tuning in, they're saying, well, I mean, this guy just isn't a pet lover. I mean, he was somehow taking charge of pet loss groups. This guy must have some kind of mental health background. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Ken. Sure. I am a family therapist. That's my primary professional identification. And so I have a master's in social work, and then I went to a three-year postgraduate family therapy training program in New Jersey. I'm on the board of that institute now. And I worked in many different mental health settings. So I worked in inpatient mental health settings, outpatient. I worked in a family therapy institute as faculty. I had my private practice. And what happened for me is the, the it's very difficult to make a living that will support a family when you are in private practice because the insurance industry is extraordinarily difficult to navigate, as I'm sure you know, as a mm. physician. Mm-hmm. And so I looked for something a bit more regular, and I got a role at Prudential Employee Assistance Program. So I went into that program as a, an associate manager in 1998. And I was there for 19 years, and I was the vice president responsible for all the behavioral health services for Prudential for the last nine years. And then I, actually three years before then, I started planning the next phase of my life, which is where I am now, where I do leadership consulting and speaking events. And I'm largely focused on how do we create the the most mentally healthy workplaces that mm. we can. It's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is such a great topic, and you have got such a wealth of experience. I know we could speak with Profit about a host of things that people throughout Indian country would be interested in, and maybe we'll have a chance to touch on some of the other areas that you work in as you're consulting on leadership for large organizations. That would be great. But let's come back to this subject of pets, companion animals. You've mentioned some of their roles, how powerful they can be. We've seen, those of us who are in the health professions, some pretty exciting research coming out. I'm thinking especially of some of the things I've been looking at in the cardiovascular area with helping with blood pressure, lowering uh, rates of reoccurrence with heart attacks in individuals who had companion animals, things like that. But why do they hit us so hard then when they pass away? And some would say, well, if that's the case... Maybe you're better off never getting attached. They may have benefits when they're with you, but you'll go through such agony when you lose the animal. It would be better if you never had one in the first place. Well, my reaction to that, David, is to say, first off, that grief is the cost of having loved, hmm. and we should we should love as much as we can in this life. That's the way I see it. And while we're in that relationship with any loved one, we're getting good things from it. And as you said, there's lots of research that shows that stress levels are diminished, cortisol levels are diminished when we pet animals. And there's, of course, now even growing acceptance of 
of animal companions for people who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder or other anxiety disorders. But the, the thing about this kind of relationship is it's so uncomplicated and it's so intimate because animals, many of our pets live in our homes or in our yards in a way that they're just so closely connected to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as we're thinking about this, this, this close relationship and the possibility of grief, I'm just thinking about in our own experience with pets over the years, we've had many as a family. And of course, having had many, we've had many losses. I think one of the things that is perhaps the most difficult is we're not only close to animals, but we're close to people. And some of those people may be very sympathetic, very understanding when we've lost a pet, but others are just the opposite. It's something like, well, come on, get over it. I mean, the pet died last week and uh, you're still moping around. Help us. How do you deal with friends who are cold, insensitive, maybe in the face of what's to you a huge loss? It's a challenge to be sure. The first thing, David, that I think it's important to to give is the benefit of the doubt. Mm. And that is to imagine that unless there's lots of evidence to the contrary, that this person is trying to be helpful. And so if a person says, a friend, a family member says to you, hey, it was just an animal, can't you get another one? They're probably reacting more to their own feelings Mm. that are painful when they're in your presence. For the most part, our society is just not able to process and be with, we're not able to be with each other when we're in distress. So if there's a comment like that, oftentimes it might mean, I want to be near you, but I just don't feel comfortable sharing these feelings. Mm. But some of the things you can say, if somebody says, hey, can't you just get another dog? You can say something like, that dog was a very big part of my life. Mm-hmm. That dog was a friend of mine. If one of your best friends died, how would you feel if I said, can't you just get another friend? <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, it's a great point. And uh, sometimes people that don't have that connection with an animal of, of any type, they just really don't understand, do they? they? They don't understand. And some people, as I said, assertively don't understand. <laughs> they, 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 will, they will say things that are absolutely disparaging. And in that case, it's a good idea just to end the conversation mm-hmm. and tell them that they don't understand, and and it's not really at all helpful for you to be for you to talk about it with them at all. The thing that's important to do is to tease out the difference between the people who will be respectful of your feelings of loss and those who won't, and to try to talk with the people who you know will be loving and respectful mm-hmm. toward you. And don't get into it with those other people. No, I mean, I think that's great. So it's really an issue of boundaries, isn't it? It comes down to that and comes down to who are you going to share your most vulnerable self with? And that's something we need to choose carefully. And one of the things I can tell you is it's kind of dicey whether or not you should talk about it at work. Because mm-hmm. I've actually heard stories of people who share their grief very openly at work and their supervisor considers that to be so odd that this affects their 
potential for being promoted, wow. their good reputation in the eyes of that supervisor. Very, it's very important to be careful. I mean, these are great points. It seems like there's a flip side, though, for those of us who are around someone who has lost a pet. And maybe for those listening in today, they haven't had a close relationship with a companion animal. Do you have any counsel if a person really is listening right now and they say, well, you know, I'm with all those people saying, yeah, I just don't get it. Is there anything they can do to be more supportive or should they just uh, be quiet? Well, it depends on what how flexible they can be. But I would say that if I as a human being can't respect another person's pain, that's not an adaptive thing for me. So it's helpful, I think, to try to develop the skills of empathy, which are all about watching carefully, listening responsibly and respectfully to the words of this other person and trying to put yourself in their place, trying to imagine the way they're feeling, even mm -hmm. if it's completely different than the way you would imagine that you'd be feeling. It's an important life skill to be able to be empathic and to listen and and to say to them that you you get what they're saying, to maybe reflect it back to them a little bit, to tell them, I can see that this is really difficult for you and that you loved this animal and that there's a lot of pain associated with their passing. Again, you may not agree, but empathy is about getting in touch with another person's feelings, mm -hmm. getting, allowing yourself to do that, not telling them how you feel, but listening to how they feel. Well, our time has just about slipped away from us in this first segment, Ken, but I know you've got a lot more to share. For those who can't be with us for the whole hour, is there a place, a website perhaps, that has more resources? Sure. My website is www.greengate, G-R-E-E-N-G-A-T-E, -E, leadership, of course, all one word, greengateleadership.com. And then at that website, you'll be able to see a bit of this book. The first chapter is there, some of my other books. And Great. there are links to where you can acquire the books. Great. we got to step away. Ken is not going away. You're listening to Ken Dolan Del Vecchio and Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. More about what happens if you lose a pet, but we're talking about more than that. Ken is a leadership consultant. He's got some amazing ideas that can make a difference in your tribe, your tribal entity, your business. Don't go away. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more on American Indian Living. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. 
There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. Ken is a family therapist. He's a leadership consultant, and he is the author of the book, The Pet Loss Companion, subtitle, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. You didn't just research this uh, book by going to the uh, library or going on the Internet. You've actually been living this, Ken, as a family therapist, haven't you? I have. I, I did this group for 12 years, and the book is an effort to bring as much as possible, the experience and support to be found in such a group to readers. That's the whole purpose of this book. So grief therapy, grief therapy groups, support groups, these have been huge over the last several decades. I haven't run into, though, any pet loss groups. Are are these becoming more prevalent throughout the country? They're here and there. There are not as many as it would be helpful for there to be. There are some online sources of support. So there are there are online sites where you can go and have a chat exchange about how you're doing, and you can post poems and remembrances and that sort of thing. But a growing number of pet shelters are are starting these kinds of meetings. Excellent. One of the things that I've uh, thought about when I think of the loss of companion animals, I think of my own children, and it seems that some of their first experiences in learning to deal with grief were over the death of companion animals. And I'm assuming that's true in many settings today. I think it's more true than ever before for the reason that that I mentioned earlier. There's very little connection between most families and the natural world. So that, for example, I had a friend who told me that her sister does not buy vegetables at farmer's markets because sometimes there's dirt on them. 
Mm. And to me and to my friends, it was just an indication of how far we've gone away from the natural realities. Those vegetables are dirt. They're dirt and sunshine and water. And so are we. And so are our pets. And if we can grasp that, I think we're all going to be in a better place. We're all going to work harder to create a livable environment, a livable biome, if you will. And so when a child experiences the death of a pet, it's very important that they that they be allowed to participate. I'll tell you a quick story mm-hmm. that came from my business consulting, and it's totally in line with what we're talking about. I was called to consult with a man who was an executive and his wife, who was on the phone, actually. He was at my place of work. And he, he and his wife had just learned that his mother had died. Mm. So they had two children who were, if I recall, eight and six years old. And they were concocting a story where they were going to tell the kids that their grandmother, who they loved very much and who was very close to them, had taken a year-long journey on a cruise and that they felt like they would be sparing their kids the pain of grief. And I listened to them. I was empathic, as I was described uh-huh. before. I didn't want to tell them how to how to think and feel about this, but I got around to asking them, what kinds of feelings will this generate in your kids about their grandmother that she left without saying goodbye? Huh. What, where do you go with that kind of a, a fantasy? And the, the truth of the matter, David, is that it's going to be a loss anyway. No matter how we describe it, it's going to be a loss. And you wouldn't want kids to be tricked mm-hmm. into a story that's not true. Right. Well, you know, what's so interesting about this topic is it seems, at least uh, in much of North America, that death is not really all that common. Years ago, many people would have siblings that had died in early childhood, and it was more of a corporate experience, if you would. People have been grieving throughout their life, if you will. It almost seems that many people today are trying to shield those in their family, like in your story, or even themselves from grief. What do you think? Do you find that with pets? I mean, do people come to terms easily with the loss of a pet, or do they even try to cling to that pet for as long as possible? Well, I think that in many cases, people do the latter. They try to cling to their animal friend. And one story that really stands out for me, is there was a woman who came to our meeting and she told the story of having a dog who was gravely ill. The dog Mm -hmm. had cancer in his snout and he was having extraordinary difficulty breathing. He was having a lot of pain. And her veterinarian had told her and her husband that it was time to let go, that it was time to end the suffering and euthanize this beloved pet she would not do that. Mm. Her husband was willing to do it, but she was just not willing to do it. And she tells the story of how they were driving home from some family event. They were driving a great distance. They were on the highway. And she looked into the back seat where her dog was and noticed he wasn't moving. And so they pulled over. She leapt into the back seat and she started trying to give the dog mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And Mm -hmm. she's describing this in the group, and she's saying there's all this fluid going all over me and there's blood coming out of his nose. And and she's very, very upset. And I I got right in front of her, and I I fixed my eyes on her, 
And I said, he needed to die. He needed to die. That will come, that time will come to each of us. That's part of life. And, and there's nothing wrong. It's not a catastrophe. It's not your fault. It's the way that nature operates. And I had to do that, I believe, two or three weeks in a row. And it seemed to sink in. I'm assuming that it was perhaps more useful for some of the other people in the meeting, Mm -hmm. because I do think that there's a societal norm that has sterilized everything about Mm. life and that when when a pet dies, it's normal. I, I'll tell you one other thing. I was once on the on the internet and I saw this this screaming headline and it said it was a star. I won't name her. I won't name her, but it was a, a celebrity's name and it said this celebrity faces catastrophe. And then if you read just a couple more lines, you would see that what they were talking about was the death of her 95 year old mother. I hear the point. I mean, the mother's got to die at some time, but still, mm-hmm. it's a huge loss if that person is a big part of your life, right? Yeah, it's a huge loss, but it's not a catastrophe. That's the thing that just screamed at me. It was almost like we are treating death as though it is something that should never happen. Hmm. And it's going to happen to each and every one of us, and it's absolutely normal. One of the things I see in the meeting all the time is people who are furious at their veterinarian. Uh, They're furious at themselves. They feel extraordinary guilt. And people who love their animals with with great conscientiousness take care of them almost universally. If you have this kind of love, you take great care of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, two extremes. I've had people tell stories about taking their German shepherd to to have water-based physical therapy twice a week at a great distance. They would drive them. They would drive the dog. You'd get in a tank. You'd be working with a physical therapist. And and then when the dog dies, they're, they're feeling like they didn't do enough. Mm. It's a very, very common thing. Mm-hmm. And, and most of the time, not all of the time, certainly maybe there are things that a guardian should have seen or maybe a veterinarian made a mistake, but most of the time, people do their best. They care with as much heart and as much watching and observation as they can. Veterinarians do their very best to care for their patients. Nobody's to blame. Nobody's to blame. It's just the end of the life cycle. Well, what is so empowering, I think, about this discussion, Ken, as as we're talking and as you're tuning in as a listener to American Indian Living, If you've got pets, I don't know of any animal that's a common pet that typically outlives its owner. I mean, there are some tortoises and things that that might be in that category. But we're talking about something that is likely waiting for every one of us down the road as far as our companion animals. And as I'm listening to the dialogue, Ken, we're talking about grieving, and grieving is really a part of living. And whether it's the death of a loved one, the death of a pet, or... I mean, dare I say it, the death of a job, the death of a dream. Uh, We all have things that are losses in life. And what I hear you saying is perhaps one of the ways that we can connect with this uh, uncomfortable reality is by engaging with companion animals and by letting someone walk alongside you, whether it's in a support group or whether they're doing it 
kind of vicariously through the book, The Pet Loss Companion. Absolutely. There's nothing like human connection that that helps to heal the heart. There's nothing like that. And certainly being out in nature and taking good care of yourself, exercising, trying to eat a healthy diet, getting enough rest, all of these things are vitally important. But we need each other and mm-hmm. we benefit one another when we mm-hmm. share our thoughts, our stories of pain and triumph. And that's just part of how we take care of ourselves and one another. Powerful stuff. We've got to slip away, but we're going to be back with more from Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. We're going to talk about an area that Ken touched on a little bit earlier and how this whole topic of pets and companion animals brings us into the workplace, some of the challenges that we face there. Whether you've got a pet or not, we're going to talk about some behavioral health insights from someone who is a family therapist. Again, Ken will be back with us. We'll give you that contact information again at the bottom of the hour when we give you some opportunities to tap into all of Ken's wisdom on the Internet. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for more on American Indian Living. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I'm speaking with Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. 
Ken is a family therapist. He's a leadership consultant, and he's an author. He's got a, wow, quite a uh, biography that I'm looking at right in front of me. If you haven't been with us from the top of the hour, he was uh, a key player with uh, Prudential, the big uh, insurance group, taking care of their employees and their employee assistance program. Ken, you're translating a lot of really great experience into practical books that are making a difference for people. We've been speaking a lot about your book called The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. But you've got a latest book, and it actually has some parallels with the current uh, topic, at least on American Indian Living, that we've been focusing on. Tell us about uh, your latest labor of love. Well, my latest book is called Simple Habits of Exceptional But Not Perfect Parents, because who among us is even close to being perfect? But the way that I think about this book is that it takes my experience, the experiences I've seen as a therapist, the experiences I've seen in workplaces, and conversations that I've had with others. It takes all of that information and translates it into some habits that I've seen be very, very helpful for mm-hmm. children as they're growing up. And also, a key theme is, and something we should never lose sight of, is that we are the most significant role model. A parent is the most significant role model in most children's lives, in most of our lives. That never ends. The path that we create for our child, and really the path that the generations before us have been creating is something that a child uses as guideposts throughout their own development and their own movement throughout their lives. You know, it's interesting that you mention this because as a physician, I often have patients that for various reasons, they bring up their parents. Sometimes it's in a very positive way. You know, oh, I just want to be, you know, like my dad or my mother or, I, oh, I, I take on those, you know, great qualities or got them from my parents. But other times I hear the opposite where they're in so many words saying that their parent was a negative role model and they determined that they never wanted to do X, Y, or Z like their mom or their dad did. So are you saying that that role modeling can go either way and it's up to us to decide what we're going to do with it? Exactly. And I think that for most of us, our parent, and we ourselves are mixed role models. Hmm. There are things that we exemplify that are positive, and there are other things that are that are challenging. And so I'll give you an example. My parents were very much about education. They were both junior high school teachers. It was vitally important to them that we went to school. But at the same time, there was a thread of, of great suspicion on the part mostly of my father, and, and a lot of reactivity. So I'll tell you a quick story. When when I was growing up, I was the youngest of three boys, and I lived in a neighborhood where there was a fair amount of vandalism. And my thought, so for example, backing up a little bit, at Halloween, it was customary to put out a pumpkin. Mm-hmm. And the pumpkins that people put out on their front steps would be smashed mm-hmm. almost within that day or the next day. Well, my father took little nails and he pushed, he pounded them in, them in backwards, so that when these kids who were doing this vandalism grabbed the pumpkin, they would they would get hurt. Wow. And 
that's so there was this theme of of sort of you got to protect yourself in, in a little bit of an underhanded way, hmm. and maybe even violent. And that's something that that I've had to reckon with as I grew up, and and trying not to react in the way that sometimes I'm inclined to. I think that's a, a telling observation. And as we speak about how we deal with the loss of a pet, how we interact with people going through that experience, we've been really looking at that as, well, if you will, kind of a, a microcosm on all our relationships. And uh, I would imagine that you've seen all sides of that equation, too. You know, we see so much in the news about people who are mistreating pets, and it probably uh, carries over into the way they treat other people as well, doesn't it? It it, it does. And, and that's why I believe that getting a pet for your child is an extraordinary an extraordinarily good thing to do because mm-hmm. it teaches them gentleness it teaches them patience it teaches them that not everybody is going to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it <laughs> and it's such an important part of living so my son had well, the family had cats we had dogs it was very important in our view for him to have that kind of experience. And when one of the pets died, and he had a he had a cat who it's actually just a kitten who got into a place in the attic actually where we didn't know there was poison. So uh, previous owners had put rat poison mm-hmm. down and the, the kitten ate this and and died. Wow. And and so it was very, very painful for my son. My son's name is Eric. He's now twenty five years old. And so his mom and I made him very much a part of the, the the letting go. So he went with us to the vet. We had the cat stay at a vet overnight to try to heal him, and it, it didn't work. So mm-hmm. we went with him to pick up the pet. We told him that, he, that the cat had died, and we decided together what we were going to do. We decided to bury his cat, whose name was Willie. We each wrote letters of goodbye. And it was so poignant to hear Eric say, and his, he wrote a card, actually, and he said, I loved you, Willie. We didn't have enough time together, though. I wish mm. we had more time together. Wow. A lot of tears. Mm-hmm. But that's part, of, that's part of the letting go. That's part of coming to terms, right? No, you're exactly right. So coming back to this whole subject and how it interfaces with other relationships, We've been talking about grieving over pets and how it can impact other aspects of our lives, whether it's the family, whether it's the workplace, whether it's friends. I think one of the questions that always comes up in any kind of grieving, and this is true of human loss as well as companion animal loss, is what kind of time frame are we talking about? I mean, people want to know, I mean, what's normal grieving? Is it a week, a month, a year? How do you answer that as a family therapist? Well, the first thing I say is it's all about the individual. Hmm. It's something that varies hugely. And I can also say that there was research done a long time ago, and it sticks with me. And the finding was that in mainstream culture, most people will expect somebody who's close to them who has had a major loss in their life to be totally back to the way they were before the loss in three weeks. Wow. And 
And that's ridiculous. That's not the way it works all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was saying that sounds like an amazingly quick amount of time. Yeah, it, absolutely. And for many, many people, they have to go through the milestones even of a full year. Mm. So they have to go through the change of season, the holidays, mm -hmm. the anniversary of the pet's birth, mm -hmm. the anniversary of the pet's death. Because for them, the world has changed in a very powerful way. And in order to adjust, they have to create this new history of living beyond the loss. I think it's also important to emphasize that when the, you probably know Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's model, sure. which, which shows that when we have a loss, we tend to feel numb, we tend to disbelieve, then we have sadness, then we have anger, then we have that bargaining, which is mm -hmm. trying to recreate the world before as it was before the loss, and then we have acceptance. And the model that, that she started out with was about essentially going through a cycle and coming back to a place of acceptance that is pretty much like where you started from. And experience tells me that that's not accurate. What happens is we come to a place, when we've got a major loss, we come to a place that is eventually wiser. We understand the complexity of the world more, and we are perhaps more flexible, and we have grown as a result of the pain that we went through. So it, it's beyond acceptance. It's incorporating a more full experience and understanding of what life is. You know, this whole thing begs kind of a little bit more discussion about some of the workplace interface that we alluded to earlier in the show. And I'm thinking of maybe some people who really, really are just extremely agitated over the loss of a pet. They feel that they can't even get back into work. Uh, they're in no position to do that, you know, the day of the loss, the day after, maybe for a few days. If someone feels that they're just not able to function, and yet maybe they've been listening to this show from the beginning and kind of ringing in their ears are, well, there's bosses, supervisors that will not understand. I mean, what's a person to do as far as their job if they really feel this loss is hitting them so hard that it's compromising their ability to be effective at the workplace? Well, they can, and they may deserve to, and they may need to take some time off. Now, whether or not they talk about why they're taking that time off, I leave to their judgment. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that is a matter for careful judgment. Most workplaces, it's possible to say, I'm just not feeling well, and, uh, and leave it at that. And that's the most cautious route, I would say, because unfortunately, David, Many workplaces are essentially predatory environments. Wow. And vulnerability is not is not something that you want to show. And in fact, I've told people at times, you don't want to cry in front of a predator. Not a mm. good thing. Mm. And now, so it it may very well be the case that you're going to go in the direction of caution and just say, "I'm not feeling well," which of course is true. Right. It's not a lie. Now, on the other hand. And I'll back up just a minute. Your workplace culture is your supervisor. That's the way I think about it. Your mm -hmm. supervisor creates the environment in which you do your work. They create the experience. Now, it's not entirely true because there can be massive pressures to 
coming from up the chain of command. But people, when they leave their job, they leave their supervisors more than anything else. And so the supervisor's role is to help to create a healthy environment by getting to know the people who report to him or her to some extent, letting them know that they're in a safe place no matter who they are and what their background is, mm. making sure that others in the group treat them respectfully. So if, if those kinds of things are going on, it may very well be the case that the person who's lost a pet knows that their supervisor is going to be okay with telling him or her the truth. If you're the kind of person who works in an environment where people have pictures of their pets up and they talk about their pets and they're clearly valued and that is something that is okay mm -hmm. with the leadership, mm -hmm. then you're in a very different place right, than right. somebody who feels like they're going to get yelled at or they're going to be scorned yeah. because they mentioned that they're sad about the loss of their animal friend. Well, this is great stuff, Kent. We've got one final segment coming up. We do have to step away just briefly, but Ken is not going away. You stay tuned with us. Ken is going to really bring everything full circle as he ties in some other thoughts from his new book, Simple Habits of Exceptional But Not Perfect Parents, and even some insights from the workplace. You don't want to miss it. More coming up on American Indian Living. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. 
Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Thanks for staying with us for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. We've been speaking especially about grieving over the death of companion animals, and we've seen that whether you are a pet lover or not, there's some lessons for all of us in communities, whether you're in a tribal community, whether you're on a reservation, whether you're working in an urban area. This is part of our common culture in North America, and there are people grieving all around us. If it's not the loss of a loved one, it's actually more likely to be the loss of a pet. For those who are just joining us, Ken, and and those who've been with us from the top of the hour, some of them want more information. You are the author of a book called The Pet Loss Companion. How can someone get a copy of that book? They can most readily get a copy by going to Amazon.com. And you can get a hard copy delivered or a Kindle copy. They can also go to my website, which is www.greengateleadership, all one word, green, the color, gateleadership.com. And there are links from there as well. And a bit more about my work and my other books. Oh, great. So Green Gate Leadership. I mean, that begs a question. Why Green Gate? Green Gate because in this phase of my life, I'm working to connect the work I've done with trying to heal human systems with the work that I'm studying more about and doing some of with trying to heal ecological systems. Oh, really? Wow. Very interesting. So Green Gate Leadership. Let's come back then with that company name ringing in our ears, Green Gate. We're talking about healing companies, communities, the environment. We've been talking about these companion animals and We've been talking about the workplace and some of the challenges that are there. If we don't have challenges in the workplace, I mean, great, but we may be doing well in the workplace and have challenges at home. I often have parents telling me that some of the greatest stresses they're dealing with might be children that are in the home. You've got some insights for us in that arena, too. What high points stand out in your latest book, Simple Habits of Exceptional But Not Perfect Parents? Well, David, I think one of the guiding themes is that we need to understand our power. We need Mm. to understand our power as parents. We're bigger than our kids. We understand a lot more. We hold the cards. And that we can exercise power in our lives in essentially two ways. One is power over and one is power with. Mm. Power over is what we see all the time. It's dominance. I'll tell you what to do, whether it's in the family or in the workplace. I am in charge. Power with is understanding power as the responsibility to generate health, success, maturity. It's responsibility to work with others to create good things for everybody involved. And if you hold that philosophy in parenting, you're going to do things differently than if you hold that older philosophy. So give us an example of a contrast, maybe paint a picture, maybe a a real-life scenario, and how one person used that power over and someone else used that power with. So let's say that you're helping your kid learn how to be calm at the dentist or at the place where they get their hair cut. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but kids sometimes go wild at those places because it's new, it's different. Parents will sometimes feel like, well, this is no big deal. I understand it's not. 
But they don't understand that new experiences like that can be scary for kids. Mm -hmm. And so instead of taking your child to that kind of experience and then screaming at them Mm. if they're acting up, which, by the way, screaming doesn't tend to work well in the long run. What you do instead is you bring them there when you're getting your teeth cleaned or when you're getting your hair cut and you have them sit on your lap or you have them sit on on the chair if you're at the dentist, the chair that's across from the the dentist chair, and you you let them experience it, that you let them see what it's like, and you talk with them about it during and at, well, not during if you've got the dental stuff going on, but during and after the experience about how it's helpful and how it's fun if you're getting your hair cut. Power With is about helping a child mature, not slamming them into place. Hmm. So let's uh, bring this whole dialogue to one other level then, because we mentioned Aspects in the home, aspects in the workplace. There's a lot of parallels, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So often that power over is going to be played out in the workplace. How does that differ in a workplace setting than what you just described? Well, in many workplaces, it plays out pretty much like that very harsh sort of, I'll tell you what to do and you better do it. And there's a lot of punitive communication that goes on, not supportive, not a a problem isn't a learning opportunity. It's an opportunity to punish and to to denigrate. Mm. I have a friend, actually became a friend when he invited me to do a talk for his group. It was in the, and I was talking about the health and wellness of the group and of the organization and services that are available. This is the guy, his name is Roy. And Roy, it was the middle of winter, he had hot chocolate. For his team, he started off by talking about the fact that there were two people who had work anniversaries, and he knew something about their passionate interests. One was interested in the theater, one was interested in sports, and he had put together a a series of questions on each. He asked them of the group. They had fun with them. He introduced me in a fun way. It it was all, he's somebody who makes sure the work gets done, but he creates an environment that's human. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's unfortunately somewhat rare in my experience. So it would be more likely, you know, hey, this is business. We don't uh, mix business and, and personal issues. And, you know, let's get down to, to work and uh, kind of that attitude. Or is that can you co- can you combine both and still have that healthy work environment? I think that's exactly what you want to do. You want to be a human being with human beings and you want to let people know very clearly what's expected of them. And, and to hold them accountable, but not in a way that is hostile and punitive. We had one situation, we actually made a video about this, in which there was a man, very, very senior guy, reported to the president of one of the businesses, who was abusing alcohol. And mm-hmm. he, would come to, he would come to events and meetings, and he would be under the influence. And you right. can imagine the disruptive things that he did. Well, coaching his boss, we were able to help her to confront him in a very constructive way and tell him that if he didn't if he didn't take care of this issue, if he didn't behave better in the workplace, more more professionally, he would lose his job. And she reminded him of the benefits that are available. Fast forward several years, he's been in recovery for many years. Mm. He comes to me and he says, what can I do to help other people? And we put together a video of him in a conversation with his boss that was shown to everybody in the company. 
And the thing that's important in this is that he would never have taken her confrontation of his behavior in the way that he did if she didn't treat him with respect day in and day out Mm. prior to that confrontation. I think this is so important. You're right. So many people are disrespected, and it's easy for that to happen because I don't know what it is, but it seems like in uh, majority culture, at least, you know, hopefully it's it's different in tribally owned uh, enterprises where you're working alongside family members. But I'll tell you, it seems so easy if someone's at a at a lower level in the company than you that somehow they don't command as much respect as someone who's at your level or higher. Why is there that uh, strange dynamic when, after all, we're all people at the end of the day? I think it's two things. I think it's a long, it's a Western civilization, long trajectory of power as domination, so power over. I also think it's the intersection of hypercapitalism, where everything is reduced to what is profitable. Hmm. And that's the measure. It's not do we have a workplace that is healthy, where people are able to take care of themselves and feel respected. It's how much work is getting done with how few resources. That's the problem. And so if we can ever move to a system in which it's good to be profitable, but it's essential to have human beings treated in ways that sustain and promote their best health, that's what I'd like to see happen, and that's what I'm working toward. Wow. you got so much wisdom, Ken. It's been so great to have you on the show. Again, how can someone tap into the resources that you've pulled together? Probably the central location would be my website. It's www.greengateleadership.com. And that's green, the color gate, like a gate that's wings open on a fence, leadership, all one word, dot com. So again, if you're wanting to tap more into the wisdom of Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, sure, you can go to Amazon and get some of his books, but you can also get information right at his website, greengateleadership.com. Before we run, Ken, any final thoughts for our listeners? I guess that I would say that the world is in trouble. We've lost a lot of human value, and we've lost respect for the natural world, which we're part of, and we need to take a step back and say, look, we're part of this world of nature. We deserve to be healthy during our time here, and we should work to take care of ourselves and that larger world. Great stuff. That was Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. I'm Dr. David DeRose. For all of us at American Indian Living, we hope today's show has helped you to be in the very best of health. Until next time, I'm Dr. DeRose, wishing you health always. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.